0: Good evening. As uh, our brother Mike noted, tonight we continue our uh, monthly Sunday evening series on the Beatitudes found in Matthew's account of the Gospel, uh, chapter 5, verses 2 through 12. The passage serves as Jesus' introduction to his lengthier Sermon on the Mount. In the Beatitudes, Jesus describes the distinct character, attributes, and pursuits that mark citizens of his kingdom, and he pronounces blessings to those who live such lives. But this passage is more than just an ethical call to live a good life, much more than a recipe for receiving God's approval and eternal rewards. Jesus' words in the Beatitudes and in his broader sermon point firstly and firmly to our need for his life-saving and life-altering work. My prayer tonight is that we focus on Matthew 5, 6, and as we do so, we see that Jesus and His righteousness are our only hope for eternal satisfaction. And I pray that this hope would propel us to belief as disciples and to fervent desire to follow our Savior in righteousness. You can find our text on page 809 of the Bibles provided. To give the broader context, We'll read verses 1 through 2 before diving in on verse 6. So please follow along as I read. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil, against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you." Over the next several minutes as we consider Matthew 5-6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In these minutes I hope that we can consider this under three points. One. Craving forgiveness through Christ's righteousness. Two, craving right living through Christ's power and example. And three, present and eternal satisfaction in Christ. Let's look at our first point. Craving forgiveness through Christ's righteousness. As humans, uh, we've all experienced hunger and thirst for food and drink. One way in which we've experienced this this is an emptiness or, or a lack that points us to our need for nourishment, substance, sustenance, uh, something that will sustain and keep our lives, if only temporarily. We feel this as a growling stomach or a dry and parched throat. And these pangs, they sharply remind us that we need to eat or drink. And so off we run to a kitchen, to a restaurant, to the water tap, or even perhaps to our backyard garden, for relief from our hunger and satisfaction for our thirst. And here we must also remember that for some, such pangs are not just a reminder, but a torment. For through poverty, famine, drought, they continue to lack, even sometimes unto death. And in the same way, the blessed person that Jesus describes in Matthew 5, 6, he hungers and thirsts for righteousness to fill the spiritual emptiness and the lack experienced by all humanity. Such people realize their need to be righteous before God, to be forgiven by God, and to receive sustainment and nourishment that will last forever. Without it, they know that they surely will die. But what is righteousness, and how can we attain it? Can we simply purchase it as easily as we did the food in our pantries or refrigerators or the water coming out of our kitchen sink? Or can we cultivate it, work for it to grow as we sow and reap the food that's in our gardens? If so, this verse would be merely an ethical call, a way for us to satisfy uh, God with our righteousness and earn His eternal satisfaction. However, the Greek word for righteousness that Jesus uses pertains to a type of righteousness, rightness, or, or justice of which God is the source and author. And so it's a divine standard for righteousness for which Jesus calls his disciples to hunger and thirst. And here we're, we're encountered with the, the stark reality that we cannot attain such righteousness on our own. As Paul explains in Romans three ten through 12, when he wrote... As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one ste- seeks for God. All have turned aside. This has been humanity's sad truth from the beginning. Genesis 2 tells us that after God created the world and everything in it, he placed the first man and the first woman in a garden paradise, and he let them eat of every wonderful tree, provided for all of their hunger, except For the tree of knowledge of good and evil which they could not eat from in forbidding forbidding them to eat of it he called them to trust that he alone could rightly discern right from wrong and that he uh, and he held them to his divine standard for righteousness perfect obedience warning them that death spiritual and physical would be the consequence for disobedience directly after in chapter three we read that the woman was deceived by satan and both he, she and the man sinned by eating the fruit, during which they sought to be like God. When they ate, they hungered for their own righteousness, their own ability to decide what is and isn't just. And this hunger and eating separated them and us from right relationship with God. So if our text were merely meant as an ethical uh, obligation or ethical instruction, it would be a death sentence to us all. But praise God. For Jesus' beatitude message begins with a gospel hope. Let's look again at verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Yes, his disciples came to him. And who are Jesus' disciples, you may ask? Well, let's consider Jesus' words from John 6:37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You see, God in his love and mercy provides saving forgiveness through his only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, fully divine and fully man, was sent to live the divinely righteous life and die the sacrificial death on behalf of all those who would ever repent of their sins. Including their reliance on their own self righteousness. And instead, these disciples, those whom the Father sovereignly and graciously gave, gave to His Son, what do they do? They put their trust and hope in Christ and His righteousness. Unbelieving friends, unbelieving children in here, do you feel the pangs of hunger for forgiveness tonight? Are you starving for salvation? Do you recognize that your righteousness will not suffice? And come to Jesus, who says in John six twenty nine, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Come to him, dear friend, dear child, and believe and feast. Come, and he'll not only satisfy your deepest longing and desire, but he'll also give you a new appetite. And that brings us to our second point. Craving right living through Christ's power and example. I ask a question here. Can we feast on Christ's gift of imputed righteousness, his gift of forgiveness, this gracious gift? Can we feast on it while neglecting to swallow, neglecting to eat any of the ethical demands in the Beatitudes? Surely not. Thanks to God... He's given us the gift of taste buds, right? So we also understand not only that we need to fill that empty spot, right, but we also experience hunger and thirst as desires or cravings for specific tastes and flavors. Such cravings lead us to search out what tastes good and avoid what tastes bad. So in the same way, a hunger and thirst for righteousness seeks not just to fill our lack, but also the things that we desire. And this is how God changes our taste. He changes our appetite and our hunger. Here in this, we also rely on Christ, whose powerful spirit works to change these spiritual taste buds. So that His disciples no longer crave their old life, but crave, but crave to live a new and holy and righteous life before the Lord their God. Jesus' disciples seek to declare as Jesus did in John 4:34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. May God help us in that. And so I ask, if any, is any of us, are any of us hungry and thirsty for, uh, to live righteously tonight? If so, will it carry past tonight and into this week? And will it have tangible effects on our lives Brothers and sisters, let's pray and strive to that end. With that in mind, let me give four suggestions, suggestions—or maybe three suggestions and exhortations and one implication as we try to apply this text. One, if we hunger and thirst for Jesus this week, we'll seek Him every day and throughout every day. Brothers and sisters, I'm certain that even the most busy of us Uh, eats at least once a day, and most of us, like me, find the time or make the time to eat three meals with snacking in between. In the same way, we must prioritize daily devotional meals of Bible reading and prayer. Some of us wake up in the morning desperate for coffee, but are we just as desperate for the Word of God? We might roll out of bed reaching for our phones to consume the morning headlines or digest overnight emails from work. But do we roll out of bed and onto our knees to seek the face of the Lord in prayer? Consider Jesus' words when tempted by Satan after 40 days without food. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Number two, if we hunger and thirst for Jesus, this week and always, we will begin to put on spiritual weight. The Greek word for satisfying. Uh, in this, in this uh, beatitude. It also means to fatten or grow, which is God's plan for you, brothers and sisters, to bulk you up in righteousness. Consider the exhortation of First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, which says, Like newborn babies, we are to crave spiritual milk, so that by it we may grow up in our salvation. Christ has given us His robes of righteousness, and God desires to work in us so that we fill those out more and more. Three, if we are hungry and thirsty for Jesus this week, we will tell others about him. Have you ever noticed how people, believers, unbelievers, doesn't matter, how often they are most evangelical about food and drink? How many times Has someone told you, or you told somebody, maybe a coworker, a friend, or a family member, about the most incredible new restaurant, recipe, drink, cocktail, whatever? What would happen if instead we tell them about the good news of Jesus? Who said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Brothers and sisters, this is the work that God's called us to. As one 20th century pastor put it, evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Remember, there are some, there are some who will perish for their hunger, for their lack of of righteousness before God. Brothers and sisters, find somebody this week and tell them to come to church with us next week where they can find the bread of life. Four, here's our implication. If you hunger and thirst for Jesus this week, you may first face persecution. Let's look again at the final verses of the Beatitudes. In Matthew 5, 10 through 11, we read, Blessed are those... Who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Beloved, if you cultivate your hunger for Christ this week in any of these ways, you may very well face persecution. Taking a break to pray and read your Bible at your desk or in your work cafeteria. May draw stares or the ire of those who hate God. In this secular world, you may be labeled one of them. Mm-hmm. Telling your unbelieving coworkers, friends, or even family that you are grieved by their vulgar or irreverent speech may get you reviled. It may get you uninvited to events. Sharing the gospel with coworkers may make you enemies as opposed to converts for the Lord. Tell friends, family, and co-workers that you gathered on Sunday morning with your church in obedience to God's command and that you followed that meeting with an evening meeting and that you followed that on Wednesday night to share a meal with your brothers and sisters and to spur them on to love and good works and you may be ostracized and avoided. You may feel lonely. But take heart, brothers and sisters, for it's worth it. And this brings us to our final point, present and eternal satisfaction. And as we do, let's, uh, let's read once more Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Believers, your hunger for saving righteousness has come. Jesus Christ has died and risen from the dead proving that your sins are forgiven and that your relationship with God is perfectly restored. Your Savior lives, and so do you. And so you can be satisfied now and rejoice. Consider Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Titus 3.4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our savior appeared he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the holy spirit whom he poured out on us richly through jesus christ our savior so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life Now, those hopes look forward but you can enjoy their benefits even now for you are free and you're saved brothers we can also brothers and sisters we can also be encouraged that we're bearing fruit we're bearing fruit together and that should fill us with satisfaction now and today i can tell you from my vantage point we're just so encouraged with the unity and love we've seen in this past year The righteousness that's evident in in the lives of of all our brothers and sisters. There's growth in fellowship, growth in love, growth in in personal devotion. We've seen it and we're encouraged. It's not a visitor who's who's not hounded by one of you on on a Sunday morning. You're doing the work of God and we we should thank God for that and be satisfied, if only a little in, in this time. Actually, we should be greatly satisfied. Let's turn to the future. It's true that still we have hunger pains for God's kingdom to be fully revealed. We still sin. We still have broken relationships. Even the ones that aren't broken are still tough. Our bodies are still ravaged by age, disease, pains. But hang on, brothers and sisters, for your satisfaction is near. Christ is at hand and his promises are true. If God got up from that, if Christ got up from the grave, so will you. Consider God's precious promise from Revelation 2, verse 7. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We're heading home, brothers and sisters. Consider Revelation 22:17: 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. We're heading home, brothers and sisters. Hang on to the righteousness provided by Christ. And cultivate your hunger and taste and thirst, your cravings for righteousness. In your words, deed and thought. For Christ has done that for you. This is our consolation and our hope for eternal satisfaction. Let's pray. Father God, we give thanks to you for you have provided for us what we need. The life of your son, the blood of your son. We thank you, Lord. And as we Uh, get ready to to sing in a moment bread of heaven bread of heaven feed me till I want no more feed me till I want no more may that be true for all of us may we crave you more and more each day and may we be able to to sing and to think Lord in all thoughts as the psalmist in uh, Psalm 42 as the deer pants for flowing streams so pants my soul for you O God My soul thirsts for you, God, the living God. May this be our prayer now and forevermore. In Christ's name, amen.